Northwest Christian School Online provides online Christian education for any students ranging from kindergarten to 10th grade. The tuition is fully covered through the state of Arizona's ESA program and is affordable for families out of state. You can count on NCS Online for a rigorous, proven online program that establishes a robust biblical worldview for all students. For more information, go to ncsonline.org. That's ncsonline.org. The brothers, for you and I to live for the kingdom of God, it's going to require a, a perspective shift, a new way of thinking, a new mindset. What in the world would it mean to pray, Thy kingdom come? Seek first the kingdom of God. Know that your home is in heaven and live as if that's your goal. What we've done in the past simply can't be done anymore. That we lived our life in a certain manner because it was basically a Christian world, a Christian culture that we're living in. That time, those times are over. It's not enough to be a believer. It's not. You, it is not sufficient for you just to believe and that's it. You cannot be a believer. Being a believer leads to being a follower. Instead of all these things we're worried about that consume our thoughts and our minds, instead of using your mental energy on that, instead, seek his kingdom. What in the world would it mean to pray, thy kingdom come? Kingdom culture conversations, and I am thrilled again uh, to be speaking to my friend Eric Stanley. Eric Stanley is an attorney uh, with the Provident Law Group in Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, where one of his interests, one of his areas of assignment, if you will, has to do with religious liberty, uh, work with nonprofits, with churches, uh, Christian schools. And he's a tremendous advocate for religious liberty. Uh, we've seen that during his time at Provident Law Group. We've seen that during his time with the Alliance Defending Freedom and even going back before, before that. So I'm excited to have Eric with us today. And we are going to jump right into uh, just a kind of a thorny issue, mm. uh, just a minor issue. <laughs> this is something called the Equality Act. And the Equality Act is not new. Um, right. I think, in fact... Uh, we were very blessed as a country. We were very blessed as, as the, the Church of Christ, as, as Christian schools, that we didn't actually see the Equality Act come into play um, before 2016. Exactly. You know, I, I think now in 2020, there's a very real danger. Um, but before we, we go too far down that line, what is the Equality Act and what are the dangers that you see associated with it from a religious liberty perspective. Yeah, so maybe a popular way to understand it is the Equality Act is the wish list of the LGBT advocacy movement. Okay. So anything that they might want in law um, is in the Equality Act, or it's kind of the final piece of what I would say uh, that they would want. Um, <clears throat> more specifically, in order to understand it, you got to go back to a little bit of the Civil Rights Act and during the Civil Rights era, um, where Congress passed the Civil Rights Act in 1974, or 1964, sorry. And um, it, it prohibited broadly discrimination on the basis of race, religion, sex, national origin, those kinds of things. And part of that was kind of a public accommodations piece where you know, as an example, back in the civil rights era or before, if you were an African-American family and you were driving across the country, you may not be able to find a hotel that would service you or a Crazy. restaurant. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was a terrible, awful time in our history um, that we're still feeling the pervasive effects of today. Uh, and, you know, so Congress stepped in and said, no, you cannot discriminate in certain instances, employment, 
housing, and in lim very limited instances of public accommodations, and really only in the race context there. The Equality Act takes the concepts, the terms of sexual orientation and gender identity, and puts them into the law. Uh, on, so if you think about the categories of non-discrimination now have become broader. So instead of it being just race, religion, sex, national origin, those kinds of things, it now encompasses sexual orientation and gender identity. In the realm of employment, housing, and now public accommodations as well. So restaurants, hotels, um, anywhere the public would gather, those kinds of things. The Equality Act is, I mean, it's, it's, it's in, incredibly broad. Uh, and it puts the entire coercive weight of the government behind a non-discrimination principle. So the government is saying, we're not just going to encourage you not to discriminate, we're going to mandate that you not do it. Yeah. And we'll back that up with fines, penalties, and even imprisonment if you do. So the Equality Act is really, in many instances, what I, what I personally perceive as, as, as a bit of the end game of the sexual revolution and specifically the LGBT advocacy movement. Um, I mentioned in an earlier recording our friend John Stone Street from the yeah. Colson Center for Worldview that talks about how specifically in the LGBT context how his phrase is we will be made to care yeah. uh, and will be forced to care in that respect. And so the Equality Act really does that. It is, um, it is a federal law that would apply across the country. Currently as it exists, there are what we call SOGI non-discrimination laws. Non-discrimination laws on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity, we call them SOGI laws. There's a patchwork across the country, some of them at a state level, um, many of them at a county or a city level. So as an example, here in Arizona, Arizona does not have a state SOGI, um, but we do have a patchwork of cities in, across the state who have enacted their own ordinances. The city of Phoenix has one yeah. uh, that became part of the Brush and Nib case dealing with the calligraphers who did not want to be forced to use their creative abilities and talents to create same-sex wedding invitations. So they actually would have been penalized for every day that they did not participate in what the city of Phoenix mandated as acceptable behavior. Right. Um, they would have been penalized. I think it was like $2,500 a day. Yeah. Outrageous. Yeah. And even to the point of imprisonment if those yeah, fines were right. not paid. So on and on, any of the hot-button cultural cases that you can think of over the last few years involving Brush and Nib, Jack Phillips at the Masterpiece Cake Shop, uh, Baronel Stutzman in Washington State, Arlene's Flowers um, asked to create a flower arrangement for a same-sex wedding. Um, there have been some videographer cases that have dealt with this issue. Um, even in New Mexico, Elaine Photography, uh, which was she was asked to photograph a same-sex wedding ceremony, these were the applications of these state and local SOGI laws that would put the power of the state behind and would coerce people of faith to do things that violate their religious belief. In Elaine Huguenin's case in New Mexico, Elaine Photography, she very politely declined to, uh, to photograph a lesbian commitment ceremony. And this was back before same-sex marriage was even legal in the wow. state of New Mexico or in the country. Um, they just had a lesbian commitment ceremony. She refused to photograph. It wasn't that she refused to serve these women. It was that she refused to participate in this ceremony. Correct. And Because had it been any other sort of occasion, Elaine would have participated. Right. But it really came down to Elaine's understanding of Scripture in the sanctity of marriage. That's right. And the way wow. that I always put it is, 
no one should be forced to use their artistic abilities, their creative talents in ways that violate their conscience or their religious beliefs. So it's different if you're just, um, you know, making a meal for somebody, you don't know anything about them, but you are serving them a meal. That's one thing. But when you're investing part of yourself into the process, and, you're, and then you're required to invest part of yourself in a way that violates your religious beliefs, that's coercion. Yeah. And that's where it becomes a violation, in my opinion, of the Free Exercise Clause and, and numerous other constitutional provisions. But, you know, Elaine was um, fined and threatened with jail and had to pay uh, a penalty to the same-sex couple for refusing. Um, and that, that opinion stood. Um, that was well, was it Baronel Stutzman, the the florist, that actually didn't she actually lose her home? She she stood to lose her home because the state of Washington uh, sued her not only professionally her business Arlene's Flowers, but sued her personally, wow. individually, and so her individual assets were on the line as well. And um, you know, in all of these instances, these are applications of these SOGI laws. The Equality Act would nationalize this mm -hmm. and would put it in as federal law and under preemption principles of, of federal law, basically, if you look at kind of a hierarchy of law, you have the, the city, the county, the state, and the federal government. And federal law um, under the U.S. Supremacy Clause is supreme. And so it governs all the way down the line to any of those. So all of a sudden, you've taken a patchwork of states and cities and counties that have these local SOGI laws and you've just nationalized it and you've said in America no matter what state you live in no matter what city or county you may not discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity in employment housing public accommodations and a few other areas what the what what the LGBT advocacy groups have done as well that that in my opinion is is a brilliant tactic is, you know, I, I hold to a scriptural understanding of Imago Dei. I was created, you were created, you were created in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And as such, as an extension of that, we believe in, in binary gender. We believe that in, in, according to Genesis 1 and 3, God created them male and female. Right. And, and that's such a beautiful picture of both the unity and the diversity of mm -hmm. creation. And, and as such, that's what we hold to in Scripture. And as is, is I look at that and I articulate that, that belief into the community, today I am labeled as a bigot. Right. It's, I'm, I'm perceived as prejudicial. Right. In the same light that race in 1964 Civil Rights Act was bigotry. Exactly. You know, in, that, in that same sense. And I think, you know, I... I am offended by that, but I mm -hmm. see the brilliant tactic that, yeah. that the other side is employing. In fact, as you look at it, I've seen percentages, you know, the national rate of suicide um, in our country runs about two and a half, three percent. If you take a look at transgender teens, um, the, the suicide rate runs higher than that, 20 percent. If you take a look at individuals that have actually done sexual reassignment surgery, they've actually mm -hmm. changed gender um, surgically, that suicide rate after the fact is over 40%. Yeah. And so on the one hand, I am holding to the truth of Scripture, but on the other hand, I'm truly loving my neighbor when I say to my transgender neighbor or when I say to my my gay neighbor, I say, listen, you were created in the image of God. Let's explore together what that means in the light of God's truth, in the light of Scripture. That's not bigotry. 
Right. That's love. I, yeah. I, I think the individual that says, hey, in order to be the real you, you've got to mutilate your body right. to change. I'm not sure that that's the clearest picture of, of love. <laughs> so all that yeah. being said, I, how do we respond as Christ followers to um, that articulation? When someone mm-hmm. says, hey, you're a bigot because you hold to scriptural truth, what would you say? How do you respond to that? Yeah, I, I think it's, it is... Um, it's the apostles before the Sanhedrin. You know, mm-hmm. we must obey God rather than men. Um, it is, um, you know, what Scripture talks in the New Testament, do not lie to one another. You know, speak wow. the truth in love. Yep. You know, it's, it's that, uh, we, we as Christians do not have an option of engaging in um, a worldview that is based upon a lie, mm-hmm. uh, that, that is a, an attempt to alter the foundational reality that God has created. And so as you mentioned, you know, God has created male and female. Jesus in Matthew reiterates that. He says, have you not heard from the beginning that God has created them male and female? Um, Scripture is very clear about this. Um, It's an unalterable reality that we as Christians adhere to and hold to. and, and, you know, in some ways we're kind of asked to step through the looking glass like Alice in the Wonderland, you know, and, and everything's topsy-turvy and upside down. And, and we're asked to buy into this myth and this lie and then to propagate it among others. And so as Christ followers, I think this is an example where uh, we don't have a choice. Right. You know, we stand on God's truth, and we, we, but, we, but we do it lovingly, and we do it in a way, you know, we don't, again, we're not angry Christians. You know, no. we don't wield God's truth like a, a sword to lop people's head off. You know, we, we wield God's truth in a way to show the character of God, which he says he is love. That is his character. That's who he is. Yes, he's a God of justice. That's his character also. But it is his will that none should perish, yeah. but that all should come to inherit eternal life. And so, you know, how do we do that as Christians is very, very important. We are being forced upon this um, by culture and by community. Used to be uh, in the past that you could avoid this issue and then you could kind of stand in the background and hide. Um, That's not going to be an option anymore. Um, It will come and find each one of us in some area and circumstance, especially if a law like the Equality Act gets passed. Uh, because then we're all on the hook for this. So in 2019, another act came forward, and this act is called Fairness for All. Mm -hmm. And as it was articulated, as as explained by those that framed this act, um, the notion was that it represented a form of compromise, if you will, that it would, on the one hand, satisfy the LGBTQ community in the sense that the the freedoms that they felt were not being afforded to them would be afforded. Right. And on the other hand, it would respect religious liberty. What's your position? I mean, what are, what's your sense as you read the, the Freedom for All Act? Do you see the middle ground here? Well, what I see in Fairness for All is not compromise. I see capitulation. Mm. So Fairness for All um, is a, a kind of a midway point between where we are now and the Equality Act. And okay. so if you think about um, the Equality Act applies across the board, um, and one of the dangers of the Equality Act is it, it does not even contain an exception for religious organizations. Um, in federal law, there are built-in exceptions that draw upon the First Amendment to say, we have the free exercise of religion, and so we're not going to force religious organizations to violate their faith. Um, the Equality Act says no. Uh, in fact, it goes even further to say, 
even a law like the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, RIFRA, that would pass Congress in 1993, that that is not going to be a defense in the Equality Act. You cannot rely upon that. Uh, and so the Equality Act is, is, in, is very, very dangerous. The fairness for all principle says, okay, we'll compromise. We're going to have a, a, a carve-out for religious organizations, churches, Christian schools, Christian colleges, um, ministries. Um, we're going to have a carve-out so the Equality Act does not apply to religious organizations. That's fairness for all. Um, but we'll still give this broad non-discrimination principle on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. We'll still allow that to be enshrined in the law. The problem is with that is, <laughs> yes, you give religious organizations an exemption, but how many people are you throwing under the bus? You're throwing under the bus Jack Phillips, Baron L. Stutzman, Brush and Nib, Elaine Huguenin, all those people we talked about. There would now be no protection in the law for them, and they wouldn't even be able to rely upon their religious beliefs as a defense to this. And so, it, it, it smacks of protectionism of institutions above kind of the principle of the matter, in my because opinion. Because we're, we're actually seeing that, aren't we? We're seeing Christian universities. We're seeing different, even churches and whole faiths, if you will, whole religions, the, the Mormon faith, if you right. will. The, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has, if I understand, has actually given kind of the nod to the Fairness they for have. All Act. And, and a number of Christian institutions and yeah. organizations have, have done so as well. Um, you know, th there's a number of proponents of this, and, and by the way, I don't, I don't uh, agree that proponents of Fairness for All are some kind of nefarious group or they have bad intentions. Absolutely. I think they have good motives. Mm -hmm. um, and, and one of the motives they say is, well, we have to protect our ability to educate our children in, in the ways of the faith. We have to protect that. Um, and so let's protect it the best way we can. The problem that I have is a couple of things. One is fairness for all proponents say, well, it's inevitable that there's these non-discrimination laws are going to come to pass. And so let's agree to it now, but get the best exemption we have. Um, the problem is any exemption in the law can also be taken away. But you've established the non-discrimination principle yeah. in the law. So that's one issue I have with it. The other is more on kind of an ontological or, or truth-based kind of argument of this, where in essence, by agreeing to Fairness for All and the Equality Act, you are conceding something that is just not true, that you can define your own sexuality, that you can define who you are as a person. You know, in, in a way, you know, the, the sexual orientation, gender identity proponents, in a way, look at God and they say, uh, in rebellion, I think, you don't get to define me, God. I'm defining myself as to who I am. It is, it is a rejection of the Creator. It's a rejection of the Imago Dei, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and enshrining that in the law puts, you know, we're buying into the lie in some respects. And then we're also putting the coercive power of government behind it. And so then it will become that there will be certain areas of, of uh, business certain areas, certain professions where Christians will not be able to, in good conscience, participate. Uh, the wedding industry will be one. Um, I think licensed professionals will be another. Um, attorneys, counselors, wow. those that hold licenses. That's more sweeping than I even recognize. Yeah, very, very much so. And I think it's because there will be times as, as a Christian you will, you will be forced to stand and say, if I engage in this profession, I will be forced to do things that violate my religious beliefs. Yeah. 
And so the decision standing on the front side will be, I'm not going to engage in that profession. I'll go do something else. For those that are already in the profession, the decision will be, do I compromise on truth, on faith, or do I stand and take the consequences? Yeah. And I've always believed over the years that, that if the Equality Act or whatever gets passed and, and as, as our, our law and culture kind of march forward on this issue, um, culture's going to need to see some of what I call the happy martyrs, um, people like Jack Phillips, like Baron L. Stutzman, who are facing these severe consequences. Um, I would encourage you to go Google Baron L. Stutzman in Washington State and then mm -hmm. read her story and listen to some videos. She, she tears up when she talks about this. It talks about kind of the pressure that she's under of potentially losing everything because of what she said, which is, I can't arrange your flowers for a same-sex wedding. And again, she had served flowers to this gay couple for she years did. and years and years. And she, she loves this gay couple, yeah. and she talked to them. And, and, and so, but she will tear up. And she will say, because of what Jesus has done for me, how can I deny him? Yeah. Robbie Lesh was a pastor of apologetics at Desert Springs Community Church here in, in Arizona. And he uh, hosts a tremendous podcast called mm -hmm. Christ, Culture, and Coffee. And, and he puts it real plainly. He says, is it our job to discover the reality that God has created? Mm -hmm. Or do we deceive ourselves and believe that we can create our own reality? And I believe that if this is the direction in which culture heads, not only will we see these happy martyrs, on the other side, we'll see the inevitable destruction that sin produces. The wages right. of sin is death. Right. And so our position on this issue isn't rooted from the standpoint of this is the rule, this is the law, and therefore we're going, it's mm -hmm. that. But we have to go back and understand that every one of these laws, every one of these truths are based on Imago Dei. We were created right. by God. We were created in a specific way. And when we operate outside of that design, the yield is destruction. It is. And if you think about it in the perspective, <laughs> Satan is the deceiver, you know, and, and he, he, yes, he may change his tactics and they may look a little bit different, but they're the same. Mm -hmm. This is very, this is exactly the same as what Satan, the serpent, said to Eve, did God really say, yeah. did he really say you couldn't do that? Did he really say you were created female, you were created male? You know, it gets us to question God and question our identity. But this is no different than what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced uh, when the giant statue was set up and everybody was supposed to fall down and worship it. That's probably a much more um, surprising and alarming thing. And as Christians, I don't think we'll face that. But what, what idol are we being asked to bow down to? Yep. What reality wow. are we being asked to adopt? The reality they were asked, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were asked to adopt is that this reality is that this idol is God. And they said, no, there is one God, and we are his servants. And if he chooses to save us, fine. But if not, we're still going to serve him. And so those kinds of things that Christians have faced all throughout history, all throughout from the very beginning of time, we're facing it now. It's just a different, it looks yeah. different. It's not new. It's not. It's not. Well, Eric, this has been incredible. And again, I just want to express my appreciation. As I had said earlier in a, in a different podcast, on a different recording, 
Eric's commitment to uh, religious law, I've seen it on the national level, but I've also experienced it within the community of Northwest Christian School where I serve. And uh, some of that is known, some of that is unknown, but I know this, that we are deeply beholden to you for uh, your aptitude, for your ability to take your gifts, your talents, your, your, just your passions for truth. You put that on the altar. You said, Lord, what would you have me to do with it? And now you're serving him in this way. And uh, I think that's a tremendous example. Uh, for all of us. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. and, And we look forward to catching you again on another Kingdom Culture Conversations. Northwest Christian School has made Biblical Worldview online courses available to all high school students for transcript credit. Regardless of whether they attend public school, private school, charter school, or homeschool, Frameworks is an exciting new initiative utilizing the learning management system of Grand Canyon University. For more information, visit BibleClassesForPublicSchools.com.